guys ready for this morning? I don't know why my daughter whispered in my ear, she said, good luck. <laughs> ah, yes, I don't know if today's uh, topic needs a whole lot of introduction. If you've been at Meadow Park for the last few weeks, you know we're talking about a series called Lens on Life. How do we see the world? How do we look at reality? How do we engage what's going around us? That's what we call a worldview. And so we look at the world in different ways, and each of us has a different perspective, a different way of seeing. And we've been addressing some worldviews that, when we live in this country, we are shaped so much by these worldviews. That's materialism. We talked about that. We talked about hedonism, this, this pursuit of pleasure and comfort. Last week, we talked about individualism. And so we're looking at these topics, and, we're, and today we're going to be talking about politics. You guys ready to talk about politics? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right, we're going to talk about politics, and because this is one of the lenses in which we see our world so much influenced by, and the world that we live in. And so we're going to look at that. We've been looking at a key verse in Colossians, 2, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. And this was a context that Paul was writing to as he was writing to a church that was being informed by some different worldviews and trying to see how their Christian faith worked together, and they were blending some things together. And so he wanted them to understand what's important. He said, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And earlier he said, in earlier, earlier he said, in Christ is found all wisdom and knowledge. And so when we talk about this worldview, how do we come at things from a gospel-centered lens, a Christ-centered lens? That's what we're talking about, and that's why today we're talking about politics, seeing red and blue. Isn't this great? You guys all got your seeing red and blue glasses on? Don't worry, there's nothing exciting yet on the screen for you to look at. But you can look at them, and you, and you can have fun with it. You close one eye, and then you look at the other, you see red, you see blue. I was hoping my shirt might make like one color disappear, but I don't think it kind of works that way. Um, but we see through different lenses, we see things differently. And so as we're talking about politics, what lens are we seeing through? But just to be clear, here's what I define politics as. It's the struggle to gain power in government in order to shape society according to a particular ideology. Some of you just feel like you went back to government class. I was a political science major, by the way, in, in undergraduate. <laughs> no who's and ahs, wow. Yeah, I know, it was boring. But... <laughs> So, but I made this up, this definition. But the idea is the struggle to gain power because we want to influence. We want our ideology to shape what's going on. And so what we see in America, we are shaped very strongly by two ideologies, two competing ideologies, right? Democrats and Republicans, right and left, red and blue. And I was wondering if this morning maybe we could have those who lean right to get up and sit on the right and those who lean left to get up and sit on the left so we have a better idea Right? We came in and we just all mixed together, sat wherever we wanted to online. Don't worry, we're not doing that. Um, but we see things differently. And we see that this world is divided. Our nation, I should say, is particularly is divided along these lines, aren't we? When, when uh, Gallup poll looked at, over the course of the year, all of their measurements of where people lean uh, politically in, last, in, in 2021, but roughly, just a little bit less than 30% of uh, Democrats, uh, our Democrats, 30% Republicans, again, a little bit less than that, 40-some percent claim to be independents, but when they were asked which way do they lean, left or right, they split just about down the middle. So we understand we're in a very divided nation, right? And, and, and these politics affect us and shape us, and we see things very differently. So I want you to put your glasses back on, and I want you to take a look at this image behind me here or on your screen. If you're at home, sorry, you don't have glasses, but all right. So see that image? Now close one eye. Yeah, now the other one. Whoa. <laughs> 
I know, that's, that's about the fun. I, I, I wish we would have done all of our slides in 3D or in different colors, but isn't it interesting how something disappears? You see, you don't see the full image. You see part, and you see different things. You look at the same thing, but you can see very differently. Now, besides a simple little picture like this, um, I wish we had some examples that are happening in the news right now. It, you guys look really fun, by the way, just seeing you guys out there. with. I should take another picture like I did last week. Um, I wish we had an example currently that's happening that's kind of got our nation up in arms in political spheres. Uh, too bad there's nothing current, so I mean, we're not talking about something very relevant. Yeah, but as we hear about the abortion issue coming before the Supreme Court, and Roe v. Wade and the leaked, uh, you know, uh, the leaked opinion that came out, and all of a sudden it's got people outraged and up in arms and on both sides and fighting and vying and protesting, and we see that politics and, and how this plays out in Washington and in different places really is an issue. And we shouldn't be afraid to talk about issues. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about politics. Oh, don't talk about that in the church. No, we're going to talk about it in the church. There's nothing that God's word doesn't talk about. There's nothing that, that doesn't get addressed. And so we need to talk about politics. We see things in different ways. But here's the deal. You name the issue, right? And there's a, opposing viewpoints, right? Every single issue, there are opposing viewpoints. So economy, immigration, foreign policy, climate, marriage and gender, education, health care, Masks, vaccines, right? You go down the list, there's one view, there's another. There's a red view, and there's a blue view. And we see things different. And so as we, as we look at the world in these lenses, then you add in this, uh, this, this, this fire and this fuel called our media, right? And you throw in social media, and all of a sudden, the thing wants to explode. Because all of us are astute enough, and I believe that, that most Americans and most people are pretty, pretty reasonably minded and think through things, but that doesn't play well in national media. It doesn't get you to click. It doesn't get you to watch. It doesn't get you to replay those sound bites. It doesn't get you to share it on social media. So you have to get more extreme. You have to move all the way to the edges, and you have to get louder, and you have to yell more, and you have to say, this is what really matters. And then you have to be aghast. You have to be in disbelief at the complete, utter stupidity of the other side. How in the world? Right? And that's what gets the airtime. That's what gets played. And we get drawn into that. And the language becomes toxic. And it becomes aggressive. And it becomes the, 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 the soundtrack that we hear over and over again. And what I fear is happening is we begin to adopt those, that language. We begin to adopt those types of positions in the way that we talk and begin to treat others, ways that we wouldn't even let our children talk to others, right? And yet we accept it in the public sphere. We accept it when we're talking with others, with family. And, and, and so there's this aggressiveness. And I'm wondering, as we're talking here today, and I just let me make this clear, I'm addressing this from a Christ-centered biblical perspective, and I'm talking to people who follow the way of Jesus, Christ followers. All right, now, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not follow him, then, then you're not under obligation to follow the Bible under the word of God. You're, you, you form your opinions and decisions, but I'm going to be addressing things from the biblical perspective. And I'm wondering, do some of us sound a lot more like the latest talking head on a podcast or on a, on a blog or a late night, you know, talk show? Do you, do you guys sound more like Tucker Carlson or do you sound more like uh, Rachel Maddow? I don't even know who some of these people are. Who do you sound more like? The politicians or like a believer, like somebody who's reading the Bible, like somebody who understands the word of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is influencing us? And so this, this powder keg is just being exploded and it's being played out in our nation. And I mean, I've been around for some time in this world. I'm approaching 50. And 
this is the worst that I've seen it. I don't remember growing up with this kind of division. I remember elections, and I remember people, you know, interested, and I remember the, the ads that were going back and forth. But it really, can, can anyone else amen that with me? It does seem like it's a different level, right? And so what's crazy now, though, it used to play out in election cycles, and now it seems to be invading almost every day. And what really bothers me is that it gets into families, it comes between friends, it comes between neighbors, and it even comes between churches and followers of Christ. The dissension, the division runs so deep that you have to decide, red or blue, which way is it? Which way are you leaning? And you take it in, and you go that direction. And we're seeing churches aligning with certain candidates on both sides during elections. We see people that, 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 that struggle to get together for a family reunion. Can't invite so-and-so, right? Because we just can't talk about it. People can't get together. Anyone experienced that kind of tension? Anyone have a, a heated political argument in the last two years? <laughs> Raise your hand if you've had some kind of, yeah. And it even creates this tension. Have you noticed, too, like if you're... You're kind of like acquaintances with somebody or like we'll be on the sidelines at soccer with like parents of another, you know, player and have some conversation, but we don't really know them super well. And a topic kind of starts leaning into politics or something that is covered in politics. And you have this sense like you're trying to figure out like, are we on the same, are we going to come at this in the same way? Like, which way are they leaning? And, and anyone else? You ever get that? Like you try to feel that out and why? I didn't used to be like that. But somehow it's gotten in there. So again, I don't need to speak to you about the division and that you understand how strong that is. But what really still bothers me, again, is that it, it's how believers and how followers of Christ engage in some of these conversations, engage in this discussion, how this influences the church. People used to decide church on which church they go to, oftentimes if they were followers of Christ, based on theology. Where do you stand on salvation? Where do you stand on, you know, what about baptism? What about end times and God's word and the Trinity? And then it was about methodology. Do you, do you have modern worship? Do you have contemporary worship? What do you know? How do you program? But now it's about ideology. There's almost like a litmus test. People want to know, where do you stand politically? That's a weird question to ask the church. It's a really strange question. But, or this is a reason why I want to leave the church. Now, I'm thankful over the last couple of years here where things have been so heated in this nation and in a lot of churches, when I talk with other pastors, I can honestly, truly say we've had very little issues that we dealt with here in the church regarding politics. And I think that is a testament to who you are as a congregation and the way that we can worship together. Right now, none of us wears label, Democrat, Republican, Independent. We come together and we've navigated even some of the tension of opening and closing and masks. Now, granted, there have been people who was like, I ain't coming because you because you, you don't have masks, or now you do have masks. And it was like, you just couldn't please some people, for sure. Had people, I've, I did have some, you know, conversations where someone would say, like, I don't know, I think I'm too conservative that I don't feel like I'd be accepted here. And then I had somebody else say, well, I'm, uh, I'm not here because you're not, you're not um, you know, liberal enough on issues relating to certain topics and certain issues, and so we're leaving. And I kind of take that as a win. I mean, can't, I mean, I don't want anyone to leave. I don't take that as a win. But the fact that if, you, if I got people on both sides saying you're too one way or the other, that doesn't mean we're lukewarm. No. We're leaning on the truth, but we're, we don't align with a political party. And so when these issues Im impact the church, it's troubling that people would look at first uh, ideology and how a church is leaning. And so when I look at that and, and, and I think about politics, again, this worldview, how it's become the primary way so many people view life, uh, Rick, Rick Warren says this, politics is the religion of people who don't know God. 
And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like, if you don't know God, like, what are you going to go, what, where are you going to base your truth on? What are you going to go after? What are you, where are you going to worship? Who are you going to, you know, uh, support? But I, as I read that, I thought, you know, I don't think it goes far enough, because sadly, I think it's also the more practiced religion of many who do know God. The more practiced religion, the, the religion that's put more in practice, there's more passion around politics than there are sometimes the things of God, the things of Jesus, the things of the church, the mission, the purpose we're on. We know where you stand politically, but maybe we don't even know where you are in your faith and how you live that out. So we have to look at this, this, this lens that we're at. How should the church relate? How do we as believers relate to politics? How do we deal with division in the church or differences of opinion? How do we relate with outsiders? We're going to cover all of it today. Uh, this is my largest uh, outline that I've ever had here in a message, so buckle up because we're going to go, buckle up, buttercup, because we're going on a trip. All right. But let's, um, let's pray because we really ask for the mind of Christ and the heart to receive what he has to say for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for a place where we can just talk openly, where we can dive into your word, where we can sit side by side, worship together, and yet talk about the things that matter to us. And Father, more than anything, we want to look into your word, and we ask for you to speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to talk about seeing politics through a Christ-centered lens. So how do we view politics? What does the Bible say? What do we read about this? So I've got five points, lots of scripture, so let's go. First point is this. How do we see politics through a Christ-centered lens? We have to understand we're part of a higher kingdom. For us to be able to say, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God first and foremost. First and foremost. We lead with this. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know this is, you know, oh, this sounds all like spiritual now. You take it out of the physical, the regular realm. No, this is important. Because if we don't understand that this is our first allegiance, that this is our highest kingdom, then we don't put our best energies towards that, and we start substituting other kingdoms. And we start focusing on wanting to rule an earthly kingdom. And we think it's all about the earthly kingdom. And we put the energy into that. Well, we're not the first ones that have dealt with that. Back in the Old Testament, the people, had, uh, the people of God, the Israelites, have had, uh, you know, had, had years of being ruled by, by, by prophets and priests and other judges. And there came a time where they looked around at all the different nations around them, and they said to Samuel the, at the time, the prophet, and they said, uh, we want to be like other nations. We want a king. We want a king. We want to be like others. We want someone who will take the charge, who will lead us and rule over us. And Samuel was disturbed by this, and he took it to the Lord in prayer, and he talked to God. And here's what God said back to him. We read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 8. It is not you they have rejected, the Lord said, but they have rejected me as their king. What he's saying is, look, it's, 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 it, we're, we're not putting God in the first place. And I wonder if, if when we get so overly enthused and engaged in, in politics to an unhealthy level that we have rejected God as our king. And that we're saying we're looking for an earthly king, and that's where all of our energy and that's where all of our hope goes. And then Jesus comes as the Messiah, the hope, the promised Messiah. What did the people want from him as the Messiah? To establish his earthly kingdom in Jerusalem, overthrow the, the take the throne. And you think about the, in, in history where, where God determined Christ to be born was in a hotbed, a political hotbed of the Roman Empire of different nations that have been warring, in the, in the culture of temple, 
and, and all the hierarchy involved in that. And Jesus comes right into the middle of it. And if we ask you, where did he align politically? Where did he align in the religious circles? He played a neutral role in a way that was like, not even neutral, like trying to take sides. He went above. It wasn't even about trying to figure out where I align. It's like, no, 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 we have a different kingdom. Here's what Jesus said in John 18, 36. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were... What would his followers do? They would fight to keep me from being handed over to Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't come to establish a physical kingdom. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom that supersedes the physical kingdoms. A kingdom that reigns in our hearts. As some have said before, it doesn't matter who's in the Oval Office. We know who sits on the throne, right? I mean... Presidents have come and gone in the Oval Office. Governors have come and gone. Mayors, school boards, they've come and gone. Doesn't mean it's not important, but it does mean that there is a higher authority, a higher power over, over these authorities. So when we see even Jesus in this moment as he walks this earth, and he comes to a point where he is now subject to the earthly power of Rome. <laughs> Remember when he was arrested? He was brought before Pilate. He was brought before kings and emperors. And here's what he said when he was before Pilate. He said to him in John 19, 11, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. <laughs> sort of like he's, in, he's there, he's in chains. You think you have all this authority and all this power? You only have it because I gave it to you. That's why I'm here. And yet he submitted himself to that authority, to an unjust trial. He could have in that moment rose up and done all kinds of things, but he said, no but yet still acknowledge that he's not powerless and that that power comes from above. Well, what about, I mean, a kingdom, an empire like Rome? That power, got, that power comes from above? Well, look what it says in Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. It's no surprise to God that in 2022, in the history of all of the earth, that President Joe Biden is leading our nation. It wasn't a surprise that Donald Trump was President of the United States of America. It's not a surprise to God. It's not like, oh, there goes the whole plan. In the history of the world, and this world, you know, is bigger than the United States. Did you know that too? Right? I mean, we play an important role, obviously, in global politics and economy in different ways, and it matters. But to the point of God's kingdom, he's not surprised. All authority comes from God. So what do we do? And where do we put our primary allegiance? We say, I'm, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I've got two passports. I've got a European passport. I, I can work in any country in Europe. I've got an American passport. I've got dual citizenship. But, you know, my primary citizenship is as a child of God in the kingdom of heaven. And when I remember that, that begins to put everything else into perspective on where we put our energy, and, and, and so we pray for those in authority. And we have the opportunity to vote, so let's do that, and let's, let's, let's speak to those things. But let's not forget where our highest allegiance is, the kingdom of God. Oh, man, that's just point one, and we are going. All right, point two, <laughs> biblical truth. Biblical truth. My sole basis for political decisions, social issues, and morality is biblical truth. Now remember, I said I'm talking to those who have committed their lives to Christ, who have submitted themselves to God's word, who have said we're all in, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Where do we find truth? Do we let it spew in our ears for hours on end with Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and endless scrolling on social media? Is that where we find our truth? Have you ever noticed how short a news cycle is? Everything is about, like the whole world, it's all about this. 
And there's protests and rising up. And then did you ever wonder like a few weeks later, like why is nobody ever talking about what's going on at the border? Why is nobody following that riot anymore? Why is nobody dealing with this issue at the Supreme Court? What about this international issue that had everyone up in arms? On and on. It, it changes because we lose interest. And it doesn't get so interesting anymore. So are we allowing ourselves to be swayed and, and saying this is what's true now? But you know what? The word of God continues to address these issues time and time and time again and doesn't waver away from them. So we have to look back at what is the truth? Where do we find it? When I talked about all wisdom and knowledge come from Christ, as Paul was writing about in Colossians before that verse um, that we read earlier, let me read you verse 7 just before verse 8. It says, Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. And then he says, don't let anyone capture you with these empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So what we have to get back to is saying, as a follower of Christ, we have a perspective, we have a view where we can say, this is how I understand how I approach these different issues and different challenges. So we have to ask this question, what does God's word say? We can have all the debates, we can have all the conversation, but if, if we're, especially amongst us as believers, but if we don't come back and say, well, what does God's word say on this? What does God's word say? Colossians uh, 3.16 says this in the same uh, book we were reading. Let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use whose words? CNN's words? Fox words? The latest talking heads words to teach and counsel each other. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. The wisdom comes from there. It's not your opinion. It's not your great college professor or your smart uncle, your neighbor down the street, the the guy who studied political science 25 years ago. That's not that. that God's word, where does it come from? Where is the truth? And let's be honest, some things are addressed more clearly than others. Other parts of scripture, we have to kind of see what does the scope of scripture say and, and how does that relate and how do we understand it? And let's have that kind of conversation. And here's the thing we end up discovering. Biblical truth is not contained in one party. God did not say when he created the world, in 2022, after my revelation of Jesus Christ and of the witness of his church, I will raise up a party that will contain the totality of the gospel to be lived out. It is not contained in one party. That's not how we see these things. And here's the deal. Most issues, we put everything in a political arena. Most issues are not political. They're human issues that the Bible has spoken to and addressed for hundreds and thousands of years that we can look to. And all of a sudden today it's political. We have the gospel. We have the word of God. So when you look at some issues where the Bible does speak more clearly into, I want you to look at this list, things that, that we see in Scripture. Racial equality and justice. We can read about that and find out about that in the Bible. Sanctity of life in the unborn. You can read about that in the Bible. Care for the poor and marginalized. Sexual morality, gender identity, and marriage. A lot of that in the Bible. Immigrant value and care. How do we care for the immigrants? Family values. Creation and environment. Now I want you to look at this list. And I want you to ask ask you, which political party captures all of these? You start looking, you start going, oh, some of those seem to be a little bit more dealt better with one side, and others seem to be a little stronger on the other side. One party does not contain the totality of all the truth. 
And the problem that we run into as followers of Christ is when it comes to politics, we have to do a package deal. When you elect a leader of a party, there's their platform. You can't be like, I only want these three parts of this candidate and these four of that candidate, and they should lead and rule together on these. It's not an option for us. It's a package deal. And so we, and what we find is we have different levels of where we weight certain things. Some people will say, I can only, this is, I'm a one issue voter. That's it. Doesn't matter about anything else. This is the issue I vote on. And you name the issue. Others might say, well, it's these, it's, I vote for this candidate because there's more of these issues than, that, than this other one has. We have different, different perspectives on that. But we have to understand one party does not contain it all. And here's the thing I think that turns a lot of people off from believers who hook, line, and sinker, dive in with one party and don't ever think one direction or the other, either party. And it's this, we must be willing to stand apart from, critique, and call out places in our party or leadership that we don't agree with. When there's something that's there, when you see something, to be able to say, you know, I voted this way, but here's where I have some issues. I voted for this candidate, but here's some things that I don't agree with. That's okay to say that. You know that? It's not okay to say that if you're going to appear on any of the the news media. That's not okay because you have to be extreme. You have to be all or nothing. You have to be all in. You join this fight or not. It's okay for you to say, you know, I actually think the other side has some good points there. Actually, I tend to agree a little bit more with the Democrats on that one. I think I agree a little bit more with the Republicans on that one. I mean, where do we come from? We, so we have to look back and we have to step back and say, not one party again holds it all together. And we have to be willing to speak truth to power. And we ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? Now, we also have to remember that this, we say and want to believe this is a Christian nation, but it is a, still a secular government. There are people all throughout the politics. You don't have to be a Christian to run this nation, right? We've got people of different faiths and different things. And so the expectation that our government would be run as a as a theocracy, is, is not what God has called us to do. It's not what he has called us to do. So, but we do have the vote. We do have a voice. We have a chance to influence in those ways. But we must come back and say, what does the Bible say? And when we step back and realize one party doesn't contain it all, that there are multiple viewpoints, we begin, I believe, to start seeing a bigger picture, a truer picture, a picture with some three-dimensional emphasis. Thank you, Jeff. Go put your glasses on. I have to at least do one 3D picture on this. So take a look at this, uh, take a look at this picture. Just, just, not this one, like this one. Yeah, it works somewhat. Can you kind of, can, does it kind of work? Kind of work? Yeah, maybe we need to take lights off stage. Anyway, anyway, the point though is, right, all of a sudden, you start seeing some depth. You start seeing some perspective. You start seeing, you guys look so awesome, it's fun. Um, it's like we're in a 3D theater. But you start seeing a fuller picture when you realize that you have things to learn from other people. So let's keep moving here. Number three. The third part here in all of this, after we talk about biblical truth, let's look at the church, and that is unity. We must live out unity in the church as an example to the world. (laughs) I'll read it again here. We must live out unity in the church as an example to the world. Now, unity, again, doesn't mean we agree on every last thing. But it's in how we relate to one another, how we love one another. When Jesus prayed for the believers in John 17... And for all who will ever believe, he had one prayer, that they might be one. That they would be one, just as the Father is in him and he is in the Father, they might be one. Why? What does it say? So that the world will believe you sent me. If there's division within the church, if there's animosity, and if there's the tension and the fighting in here, if it can't exist here, then what, 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 what unity, what allegiance do we have to Christ? And so how we live with one another is so key, is so important. And this idea of this cancel culture in different ways that, that, that we see people doing it on both sides and both parties. And to be like in the church, to be like, whoop, you said that, I am done with you. 
That is not biblical. That is not how we relate to one another. I love Galatians 3.28. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, Republican or Democrat, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, there's still a male and a female. There was still somebody with a Jewish tradition and a Gentile. They were still that, but there was something different, a higher unity that makes them one in Christ. And so the church ought to be that place where we can say we are one in Christ together. I can't think of a more powerful witness to a divided world today than to be able to say, you know, we come together, we worship every Sunday, we're in small groups together, we serve the community together, we have healthy conversations with one another, and we're here because we're citizens of a higher kingdom, and that unity is shown. And then John 13, 35, for your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Fourth, we're on mission together. But what's our mission? Our mission is not to win elections but to win hearts. If you know otherwise, please show me in the Bible. That Jesus said our mission is to rule the local governments. Our mission is to win elect- elections. Now, we can have a goal and we can have a desire and we can say, you know what, I really feel strongly and I would like my candidate to win and I'm gonna do what I can. But in the scope and the scheme of, again, our primary allegiance and what we are to give our best energy for, what is our objective? So yeah, vote, run, contact your elected leaders, protest, campaign, do those things, but we have a bigger mission. Go and make disciples. That's where Jesus said, go and make disciples, share the gospel, share the hope, help people experience life to the fullest in Christ, help them experience that transformation. I love this quote that I read in an article, it says, without the hope of the risen Christ, we're simply fighting to rule a fallen kingdom. Man, I just, I just camped out on that over and over again. I keep coming back to that. Without the hope of Christ, we're just fighting to rule a fallen kingdom. Every kingdom in this world has fallen. We're trying to do the best to redeem it as the church and to be God's people in what we do. But I wonder if we've given up on the power and the hope of the gospel and the power and the hope of the local church and the global church to change the world, and we, if we've given up on that and saying, okay, now it's about, it's about Washington, D.C. That's where it's going to change us. Now, does it have an impact? Yes, it has an impact. But I wonder if we look and go, isn't there a greater power? Isn't there something else? And I, and I think in terms of, man, if we can just get these laws changed, if we can just get the government to do these things and enact these things, I'm like, haven't we learned? In the Bible, the law is dead. The law was fulfilled. The law couldn't, even God's law could not change people's hearts in, in, for eternity. Even Christian law, the biblical law, right, or the, the Old Testament law. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill that law. And I've replaced it with a law of love and of grace. And he came to show a different kingdom in a new way. And he didn't try to overthrow the Roman Empire. He didn't try to overthrow the, 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 the temple religion that was there. He said, I'm going to show you a new way. And you start living in this way. And, and where do we see the evil Roman powerful empire today? It's gone. Why? Because in large part of what Christians did as they lived out a different reality, Their mission wasn't to overthrow Caesar. It was to start showing a different way, a new reality, a new way to live. And I'm wondering, that revolution of love and grace, do we still believe in that? Can we demonstrate and show a more beautiful community, a more excellent way, a way that we live in this world where people's hearts and lives are being transformed, and that's where we begin to submit ourselves to God's word versus saying, everybody must submit to God's word. And they're like, I don't even believe in your God. I don't even believe that the Bible's true. I want to do my own thing. You can put whatever laws in place, it's not going to change their heart. Now, sure, some of those things are going to benefit society, and we believe that's the best way forward, and again, that's why we care. 
But where do we put our primary effort? Our mission is not to win elections. Our mission is to win hearts. Fifth, get practical here. Engagement. How I engage with others about what I believe is as important as what I believe. We've forgotten this. It's all about what I believe. And I'm going to ram it down your throat. I'm going to shout it louder. I'm going to scream it more. It's what I believe and what I stand on. And we are followers of Christ and we're Jesus in the church. Everyone's against us. That does not help our cause or our mission in any way, shape, or form. How I engage with others about what I believe is as important as what I believe. And I believe this is why we're losing our influence. Why are we so easily offended as Christians? So easily offended. What do we expect? People who don't know the word of God, people who don't follow the word of God, they're going to see things different. They're not going to be sympathetic. They're not going to do those things. Why are we so easily offended? And then we come back in the same way. That does not help us. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25. Paul, who wrote Colossians that we were just reading, writing now to a, a young leader, and he says this, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, and by the way, that's not just talking to pastors and leaders, that's everyone who's a follower of Christ. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to people of the same party, to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. And just in those two verses, don't quarrel, be kind, be able to teach, be patient, be gentle. How is important. Because if you do all that, then what? Then you're guaranteed to change someone's heart, right? (laughs) And who, so look at that last line, perhaps God will change someone. So first of all, you're not going to change their heart. God will change their heart. And not even God can say 100% of the time he's going to change their heart. Perhaps God will change their heart. That should give us some some pause to say, I understand why not everybody's going to always agree or come around. So we approach it in a gentle manner. We say, God, perhaps you will change their heart. Legislations, laws, governments have never changed a human heart. And that's why I'm passionate for the church. That's why I'm passionate about what we do, about changing lives and leading people to be all in for Christ because that's how the world gets changed. One person, one heart, one family, one community at a time. That's where we put our energy. Don't don't miss these opportunities. Colossians 4, in that same book, live wisely among those who are not Christians and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and effective so that you still have the right answer for everyone. You're still on your foundation. You're not giving up. You're not compromising the truth that you hold to, but it's the manner in which you approach it. And I wonder, are we squandering opportunities? When we start choosing sides and we are all in on one side, if we're trying to reach everybody and we say we're all on one side, do you think we're going to have a witness and an opportunity to speak to the other side? You've already shut them out. So speak wisely and gently. How do you approach differences? I like the way Carrie Newhoff says it, approach differences of opinion and grievances with a desire to understand, not to wage war. Man, I wonder if we just approach people and said, help me understand. I've got to remind myself of this because if it's an opposition at times, I want to argue my side. I want to say, here's the reasons versus stepping back and saying, help me understand. Where, where does that come from? Where, where do you base that on? Especially even within the church, you're just talking with other believers. Where do you see that in scripture? Like, how do you come to that conclusion? Because I come to a different conclusion. 
Let me, let's talk, or let's see what, where, 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 where there's learning. So we're trying to understand. Help me understand. And I also want, I want to share this with you, what Andy Stanley said I think is awesome. What the next generation is looking for is not correct politics. What they're looking for is a Christ-like posture. And we can maintain a Christ-like posture regardless of our politics. Our posture. Again, the how. Not just the what. Not just all the foundations, but how do we live that out? We can change earthly kingdoms and people's hearts not by shouting louder, arguing harder, posting angrier posts, demonstrating more aggressively. We can do that, but it's much better that we live out a new kingdom reality. That we can say, Here, here's an alternative. Here's a way that's higher. Here's a way that shows what it looks like and how it's lived out. And that's why we don't just talk about just going to church. It's about being the church. It's about how we engage with one another. It's being connected in life groups. It's serving alongside one another, not just attending a service. Because we don't demonstrate to the community. I mean, this is a step of demonstration that we're together and worshiping together. But it's how we live and interact and demonstrate a new community. So we can have differences of opinion on LGBTQ issues, and yet we can still show care and grace and love. We can differ on immigration, borders, the wall, and we can still care for the foreigner among us, can we not? We may differ on climate change, but we can do our best to not unnecessarily pollute the environment and creation that God entrusted us with, with the Garden of Eden and telling Adam, I give you dominion over this. We're responsible. We may differ on abortion, but we can love the woman that's struggling with an unwanted pregnancy, to support adoption, we can care for emotional wounds. We can help single moms. We may differ on racial policies, BLM, critical race theory, policing. But we can show respect. We can show the importance of justice. We can look for equal opportunities. We can confront racism. We can build friendship along racial divides. We can live out a different reality in that way. We can differ on inflation, economic policy, oil and renewable energy. We can differ on those things, but we can also share our resources with those that are in need. God's called us to do that. Share your resources. Some of us worry more about a pipeline or about a solar panel than we do about sharing the resources God has given us with somebody right near us. How do we do that as a church, as a body? We may differ on who we voted on, but as I said, we can still agree on who sits on the throne and we can come together and we worship. I noticed we didn't change our worship the day before, the weekend before and the weekend after the election. We came together and worship, and we continue to serve God. We need to show people a new way that isn't about seeing red or blue. Say there's a different, there's a different way of seeing. And in this whole series, as we talk about like seeing with a different lens, looking at this world in a different way, I just want to close with this as I think about the Apostle Paul, who had this, he was, before his conversion, he was just uh, you know, persecuting believers. He was so zealous for his faith and he would hunt them down and he was all about legalism and law and doing things the right way and, 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 and just persecuting. And on a road to Damascus, he tells a story a couple different places in, in the book of Acts. He was blinded. He had an encounter with Christ for where literally his lenses, his eyes, he couldn't see a thing. And he was in darkness until his eyes were opened, until he encountered Christ. And it said like scales falling from his eyes he was able to see. And you know what? He saw the world in a completely different way. From like one day to the next, he saw the same world that existed all before. But when you see with Christ's eyes, when you see with a new perspective, you, you look at the world different. 
And you say, ah, I see things now in a different way. I see these things. Try to see them through the eyes of Christ. Try to see them through the eyes of Scripture, through the church, through the body together of what we want to do in this world. I want to see through the eyes of Christ. And I think that's what we need to do as we look at lens on life. How are you seeing the world? And how is it transforming you? And how do we allow ourselves to be led in a gospel-centered way? And when it comes to politics, and we're part of a higher kingdom, we have the authority of Scripture to guide us. We have the unity of the church that can lead us forward. We have the mission that we're on, not to win elections, but to change hearts and to be about the mission that God has called us on. And in the end, the way we engage with the world matters. It matters as much, and maybe even more so, than what we believe. It matters how we engage with others. And in that way, we're going to see transformation happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for demonstrating to us how you engaged with the world, with temple and empire, but God, how you engaged with people and how you showed us a different way for changed human hearts. Lord, I thank you for this country. God, we are so blessed to live here. The freedoms that we have, the ability to practice our faith, to worship together. We're blessed, and God, we, we love this nation, and we pray for this nation, we pray for the leaders, and we want to see, God, your kingdom come, not only here in America, but around the world. God, we want to be global citizens. And more than that, God, we want to be citizens of your kingdom. And so, Father, help us as we navigate these dicey waters, as we navigate tensions and family and and friendships and different relationships, whether here in the church or in different ways. But God, may people see in us a peace that we have, that we know which kingdom we belong to, and a peace to know that you're in control. And Father, may they also see in us a heart and a passion for those things that matter, the things that we believe in. But God, may we approach it in ways that are winsome and open and trying to understand and to love those that you've put in our way. Lord, we give you thanks. And we just come before you, God. We humble ourselves before you and we're reminded, God, that what brings us together is much, much greater than what could separate us. And Father, as followers of Christ, we rest on you. And Lord, if anyone here today or listening online, God, does not know you and does not know the peace that can come from knowing which kingdom we belong to and where our citizenship lies and to be able to have that peace of knowing truth. And Father, just being able to be people of grace and of love in the world around us. Lord, I pray today would be a day to enter that kingdom, to become a citizen of that kingdom purely through faith in you. And so God, we, we just ask, we ask all these things in your name, Lord, as we pray for our nation and our church and our families. God, guide us to know and to love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.